You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. Well, uh, tonight, <laughs> I want to talk about something kind of different. Um, I'm going to talk about, um, I want to start with Moses when he, when he led the Israelites out of Egypt. Um, can you put that scripture up there? It's, if you've got your Bibles, open up to Exodus 15. So, after the Israelites uh, crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, and then the Red Sea collapsed back in on the Egyptian army, um, they found themselves on a wilderness hike to end all wilderness hikes. And this is uh, Exodus 15, 22 through 25. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water, and then they were in the wilderness of Unsure. That's not in the Bible. That is a ridiculous joke. (laughs) Anyway, see, it's funny. (laughs) Uh, And they came to Marah. They could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter it was therefore named Mara. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. He threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statue and a rule. There he tested them. Um, so I, I feel like Israel, they grumbled a lot, they complained a lot, but they also get a little bit too much flack for it. If you can imagine... <laughs> three days in the desert without finding water. And it said that Moses had 600,000 fighting men, 600,000 young men, you know, between the age of old enough to swing a sword and and the guy who brings the soup. You know, like 600,000 fighting men. So they had well over a million people on this wilderness hike. And um, when when Michael and I were um, youth we were like youth group assistant leaders. We took all of our youth group kids to this place out in uh, New Mexico. And at the end of the, the camp, one of the kind of like grand things at the end of the camp to say, you know, you made it. This is going to be awesome is we, we took all these high schoolers on a hike. And it was like maybe a mile and a half up these switchbacks, up this mountain to this beautiful like viewing spot. And um, they had water bottles and they had candy bars, and they had their buddies. It was probably 50 students. And so we start up this mile-and-a-half walk up this, you know, slightly slanted switchback so that we could go up to this beautiful viewing spot. And I've never heard such complaining in my life. I mean, they had all the equipment. They had nice shoes, water bottles, granola bars. They had everything they could need. And my feet are hurting. (laughs) When are we going to be there? And, but Moses has like 1.5 million of these people, and he is in the wilderness of unsure. Um, 
And then they get to this place where they finally see water, and you can imagine how excited they were to find some sweet H2O out in the middle of the wilderness. And, you know, I don't know what it looks like for like a million people to descend on a pond, but, you know, when they got there and everyone's, you know, getting in the water and throwing the water in their face and, they, you know, it, people who are like the first to the shore realize like this water is horrible. It's bitter. You can't, you can't drink this. It's poison. And then information travels all the way through the camp. Can you imagine like the heartache, the, the disappointment in that moment? So they were definitely grumbling. And um, I felt like the Lord was saying that, you know, one of the times... <clears throat> Or I should say, one of the places that we'll first come to when we leave our place of bondage is, is the temptation for bitterness. Um, that he's going to bring us to a place where we thought we were going to find relief only to find out that it, it was bitter at first, but the Lord wants to do a miracle in that place. Because he finds a log and he throws it in there and the water becomes sweet. Um, you know, a lot of the... The books that I've read about it, you know, talk about how the log symbolizes the cross, you know, the cross, throwing, on, throwing it under the, the bitterness of humanity, making it sweet. There's another place that's kind of like Mara. It's called Moriah. And that's the place where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. And it has the same root word. So it, it actually means the Lord's bitterness, Mara. So something about Mar means bitter. So this is the Lord's bitterness. But when he provided the the ram with his horn stuck in the thorn bush, and, Isaac, and Abraham didn't have to sacrifice Isaac. The name of that place was actually changed to Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. So, the first miracle of you know, the Lord when the deliverer brought the Israelites out of Egypt was at a place called Mara, and Jesus comes on the scene, and he's conceived in a place called Mary. It's the same word. The Lord has actually tucked himself into a place that is actually means bitterness. <clears throat> Anybody ever have uh, four close friends with the same name, like people that you interact with on a daily basis, they all have the same name? It's weird, though, right? That's, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty random. And for, uh, especially for a guy named Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he has four Marys. He has Mary, his mother, uh, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Bethany, Mary Magdalene. There might be more Marys. He has surrounded himself with bitterness. Mary Magdalene, especially... Um, so her first name means bitter, and uh, Magdala means isolated dungeon tower. <laughs> this girl's got problems. So when Ashley and I were pregnant with our first child, Judah, I mean, and all of our kids since then, we, we were like really wanted to find a name that, me, that meant something so that we could like put it on a cross stitch or some painting or something and put it up above the crib. Well, this didn't happen with Mary Magdala. You don't want that written above your crib. So she's bitter, isolated dungeon tower. 
And I actually think it was a prophetic statement over her life. If you put up um, Luke 8, 1 through 2, this is Jesus after he's formed his little posse, his, his community. It says that he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Have you guys ever, like, run into a person with one demon? (laughs) Or, like, been in a deliverance session where, like, you know, one demon needs to be evicted? That person is usually miserable and not acting themselves and hard to be around. Well, this, this poor girl, seven, she has lived her whole life for however long as a bitter, isolated dungeon tower because a demon's one job is to make you believe that you are so unlovable that you isolate yourself or to make you act so unlovable that people have a really hard time being around you. Can you imagine the kind of life that she had before Jesus entered it? Uh, This is the end of verse 2. These women who provided for them out of their own means. Has anyone ever caught that verse before? Jesus' ministry was funded by the funds earned by a bunch of women who were recently delivered of demons. Isn't that cool? (laughs) This is our God. I mean, think about it. In today's context, that would be like our our favorite pastor or preacher, you you name it, the guy who fills the stadiums. You know, he is traveling across the country in an RV, and there, you know, he's got some of his disciples with him. Also, you know, three women who were recently delivered out of prostitution. See, Jesus, um, out of everyone in the universe, has the best reputation, and yet he cares nothing for it. He knows like more than anything that these women need to be near him in order to continue to be healed, to grow, to be launched into like who they really are. And so he actually creates this family out of these broken people. What kind of a job could a woman have if she had seven demons? I just think it's amazing that it's not just that the wealth of the wicked is saved up for the righteous. It's that the Lord is going to ransom wealth that was made in wicked ways and use it to advance his kingdom. It's just cool. Jesus doesn't seem to be concerned about his reputation or his career as an itinerant preacher. Um... I think that Mary, if, if, you had, if she had seven demons, she was probably used to people pretending like they didn't know her or just, you know, seeing her and walking the other direction. I mean, it, I don't know if you guys have ever felt like this, this feeling like everyone in the room thinks that you're the project that needs to be worked on. <laughs> it's a really uncomfortable feeling. And... And here she is, 
now identified as one of the women who, one of the people who is closest to Jesus, the coolest guy who has ever walked the earth. And he's created this community of you know, superheroes out of foul-mouthed fishermen and, uh, and women who have been ransomed out of horrible situations. And now they have a home. They have a community. They have a place where like, they have found their identity. And not only do they know who they are, like Jesus is sending them out to go minister in power. Like, it's not just that Jesus is keeping all the cool miracles and stuff for himself. He's saying, here's my power, go use it. And so they have been not only ransomed out of the domain of darkness and brought into this amazing family, but they've been given a purpose, and they're starting to look like Jesus. I bet you Mary is the kind of girl who is with Jesus every single day after that. If you came out of that kind of life, and it, you know this, this Savior walks up to you, delivers you of these demons, and then brings you into a new life, I'd imagine you'd be attached. You'd, wherever he was, you would want to be. You would want him to think that you're special. Like <laughs> You'd want him just to put his arm around you and look at you and, and say, like, you just, you probably would hang on his every word. I bet there were days where she would wake up and look around the camp and, like, make sure that he was right there, that he was still that close, that he, had, he hadn't, like, deserted them or it wasn't, this wasn't the day that he decided to go to the cross. This wasn't there were probably mornings she woke up and he had like gone up a mountain to be alone and pray to the Father and her heart started beating. Like, where is he? Like, because I can't go back. I can't, I can't live life without him. I have a friend who has seen resurrected Jesus a couple times, and so now he's pretty weird. Um, <laughs> but he walks in crazy power, and he's the kind of guy that just, he smells like Jesus, he looks like Jesus, he acts like Jesus, and he has this story of going into a, a Waffle House, and, and uh, he and another minister buddy of his get in this Waffle House late at night, because that's the only time you go to a Waffle House anyway. I don't know why they, they pretend like it's breakfast food, but everyone's in there until 2 a.m. Uh, <clears throat> so Brad's, his name's Brad. Brad's in, in this Waffle House, and, and uh, a waitress recognizes him as a minister, and so she grabs her Muslim friend who um, works at this Waffle House, found out that he's like a part owner of the Waffle House, she, so this waitress drags this, this Muslim guy over to Brad and, and says um, to the Muslim guy in kind of like a not good way, you need to hear what he has to say. Because she wanted Brad to like convert him or, or whatever. And Brad's like, well, hello. And, uh, and so they just start talking. You know, they're just... It's kind of an awkward way to begin a conversation. So, like, small talk is, is pretty strained at that point. Um, and eventually, the, the Muslim guy says, well, aren't you going to try to show me some scripture? You try to convert me? And, and Brad says, no, I don't, I don't have to 
you know, tell you about my God. I can introduce you to him. And, and so Brad stands up and says, take my hand. And um, the other minister stands up and takes the other guy, the, his other hand. And so this, the Muslim man is standing between two pastors, and, and Brad doesn't know what he's doing. He's just like the rest of us. He's like, I hope this is going to work. And he's, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, well, a, a, a wind begins to blow through the center of a closed waffle house, like a a funnel wind, like so hard that plates and placemats are f- like falling off tables, and it's centered right on this guy, and his hair's getting blown back, and he's shouting, is this your God? Is this your God? And Brad's like, yeah. <laughs> um, well, the guy, he meets Yahweh. He meets the Lord. Like, the, our, our faith doesn't rest on just fanciful teachings, but on demonstrations of the Spirit's power. Well, he was just introduced to God. He didn't have to pray a sinner's prayer in that moment. He just knew the Lord. He met him. He's, he's the funnel wind guy in the Waffle House. Like, <laughs> he has a memory that he can go back to. Um, well, Brad and um, the other guy are, are leaving the Waffle House. They've paid for their bill and um, are walking out to the car. Well, the door of the Waffle House comes open, and this guy's running at him. And he gets up to him and says, where are we going now? <laughs> well, they, they ask him, and, well, and it turns out the guy has a family. He's a part owner in this business, and he's literally, like, saying, wherever you're going, I'm going. And this is what would happen with Jesus often. He would heal people or deliver people and say, go enjoy the life that I just gave you. And then they would say, where are we going now? Like the, the demoniac with the legion in, in Mark chapter 5, you know, Jesus casts out that situation. And the guy's like trying to get in the boat like with Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. I need you to go tell your family everything the Lord has done for you. And he's just like, where are we going now? Where are we going now? Side note, that guy went to the Decapolis, which is not a town. It's five towns. He became the biggest evangelist in five cities. The guy who had legion, like all those demons that went into the pigs, that guy instantly became the biggest evangelist. Just love Jesus. Um, So that's Mary. She's like, where are we going? I got to be near you. She's by his side until the worst day of his life, or her, her life, and it's in, uh, starting uh, John 19.25, Jesus has been arrested, beaten, carried his cross up the hill, and it says in, <laughs> he's deserted by just about everyone. But he says, uh, it says in John 19, 25, that um, there are a few people there. It was Mary, 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 and John. <laughs> so there he is. He's looking down at these women um, whose name means bitterness. Guys, he's hanging on the cross, and they offer him bitter gall to drink. He's literally stepped into the bitterness of humanity 
in this moment. And the, the words that are coming out of his mouth, he's, he's echoing from, from Psalm 22. He's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he, he's quoting King David from Psalm 22, who had a prophetic lament. All of Psalm 22 is about the crucifixion. It says that his, all of his bones were hanging out of joint. Uh, and he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's surrounded by these Marys. He set Mary Magdalene free, and she's going to be by his side until the very end. And I bet you as he was hanging on that cross and his life was slipping away, she felt her life slipping away, and she was probably wondering what tomorrow is going to hold for her, what is next week going to hold for her. What is she going to have to do? What is she going to have to go back to? She's probably thinking things like, there's, there's no way Peter, James, and John can hold this together. And she would have been right. None of them even had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit yet. You know, the, 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 the A-team, Jesus' posse, they still wanted to like call down fire from heaven and kill people. Like the, so she's, as he's dying, she's realizing or feeling like she's going to have a much worse life ahead of her. She might have to go back to places that she came from. Can you put up um, John 20, verses 1? We're going to read a bunch of these. Now, on the first day of the week, this is after um, Jesus has been taken down the cross and put in the tomb. Three days later. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Verse 2. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So this is the first time in her life where she can't even find his body. She's by his side every day, and in this moment, she can't even get close to his his dead body. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. This is John humble bragging, by the way. <laughs> For all of eternity, everyone knows that he won that race. <laughs> and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Cool piece of detail. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Because where is she going to go? 
the guys, you know, they had families and jobs and, and stuff. Mary had nothing but Jesus. She certainly had no life of her own, you know, living with seven demons. And this looked like utter defeat, like failure, you know? Like Jesus came and started this awesome movement and and it's over. They've lost their leader. And you can see that they did not understand that he had to rise from the dead. And so what they are feeling is complete despair. The thing that they thought was going to happen, that Jesus was going to restore the kingdom to, to Israel and free them from the Romans, that Jesus was going to be their, their earthly deliverer and king and conqueror. All the, all the things that the plans that they thought the Lord had come for have fallen to pieces, and now they can't even find his body. As she was there weeping, she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned. This stood out to me one time. Everyone in here wants to have a conversation with an angel, right? Like your eyes are open, you're looking at an angel, and you're talking to him, right? Everybody, that would be so rad. Well, Mary is talking to two angels. And, and they're asking her questions. They're engaged in a conversation, and she literally turns from them. Can you imagine, like, the, the, um, the desperation, the emotion that's taken over? Uh, she has actually walked with the Lord so closely, felt his, his healing, heard his words. When you're that close to the Lord, two angels will not suffice. And this is what the Lord is saying to his church. Like, if you know me, every other spiritual experience is going to pale in comparison that she would turn from these two angels looking for Jesus. Um, having said this, she turned around. What was that last verse? Yeah. And saw Jesus standing, but did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, this is my favorite part, Mary. And when she heard her name on his lips, she heard the voice of eternity and hope. She heard her leader. Can you imagine the electrical surge of adrenaline and hope and clarity popping into her mind all at once, and she's realizing that she's not going to have to go back to her old life. Everything Jesus said is true, that he has risen, and he's right there. And she screams in Aramaic, Rabboni, <laughs> which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't cling to me, or don't touch me, some translations say. This is like her friend. Like, they've shared meals. They've been close. They've probably, 
you know, put arms around each other, and Jesus is saying, don't touch me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. This is a weird verse. Um, I, have a, I have an idea of what I think it means. You know, Jesus is both the sacrifice and the high priest. Well, when a high priest would take sacrifice, the offering, into the Holy of Holies, he would have to go through a ritual of cleansing. Jesus was actually made perfect. He was a perfect sacrifice, and he was uh, a cleansed high priest. He was made perfect through what he suffered. Well, if a high priest goes through these washings and cleansings, and they definitely don't want to touch any, anything unclean before going into the Holy of Holies. You don't, you basically, like, a, a high priest doesn't want to go into the Holy of Holies if his life force or cleanliness has been lessened because he's going into the presence of a billion volts of life, love, and power. Okay? And so Jesus is in this moment, and here's Mary, He's putting her heart back together. She's losing it, and she's shouting his name and lunging at him. Teacher, it's you. And Jesus is going, don't. Because <laughs> I have not yet ascended to the Father, which means that he suffered the crucifixion, he went down into the grave. He came back with the keys. He was going up to the Holy of Holies to present the blood and hand the Father the keys to death and the grave, the redemption of, of mankind. And so he's probably on his way in this moment to see the Father, and he stops because it's Mary weeping by herself by the tomb, and she thinks, I want her to know first. I gotta stop. She has to know. And in this moment, Mary, bitter, isolated dungeon tower is turned into sweetness. Just like the waters of Mara. I feel like the Lord is still doing the same thing. He wants to get right in the middle of our broken places and our bitterness. He doesn't care um, what it looks like right now because he has a really good plan of how to fix it if he can just get inside. Um, so I felt like the Lord wanted to deal with a couple of things tonight. Unforgiveness, bitterness, cynicism, uh, the, even the... Um, when I stood up here at the beginning in the evening, I felt like the hope deferred thing, that there are words in our life that look like they died just like Jesus on the cross. Um, so if you want the Lord to minister to you in that place, just stand up.